0: You had one of those magic eight balls where you're like, okay, I need to know the answer to this pertinent question. And you would shake it and it would give you an answer. And most of the time we didn't like the answer we got, so we shook it again and we shook it again and we shook it again until finally it said what we wanted. And I remember the way that I used it was, and this may become a surprise to you, but I wasn't much of a ladies' man in high school. And I thought the magic eight ball, when I would go through and ask about different girls I should ask out, of course, at one point, it would say, go for it, dude. She's gonna like you, or whatever it says. And yet, every time I shook the magic eight ball, every time, for a date, somehow it came up this, don't count on it, every time. I'm like, this stupid thing is broken. And so I went and got another one, and it said the same thing. And so one of two things I should have taken from that, either I should never have gone on a date with those girls, which they never would have wanted either, or maybe God was saying, wait, because the perfect girl is for you. And and that's my wife, Paul. In fact, we celebrate 12 years today. This is our anniversary. How nice is that? What are we doing for our anniversary? I get to come to work, and we get to watch Browns win. I'll take that all day. But I'm grateful (laughs) for that saying, don't count on it. But man, wouldn't it be so great if you could use something like this? You have this decision that you need to make. Maybe it's a big decision, a life decision, or, or it's a little decision that you're just, I don't, I don't really know what to do. A, B, A, B, what do I do? And you could just shake that up, and it would tell you what to do. I mean, could you imagine just knowing how to answer some of these big or small questions in life? Whether it be, should I, should I look for a new job, or... What opportunities do I say yes to? Or what about opportunities I should say no to? Uh, Some of us are asking, whom should I marry? Uh, We just talked about it. Should I join a serving team? Should I go on a short-term missions experience? How do I know? Some students are asking right now, what college should I attend? How do I balance work and family plus all my other obligations? There's so many questions that we could ask. And yet, if you're like me and you don't have a magic eight ball to tell you what to do, and you can't see the future, then how do you and I make decisions? How do we make sure that we make the right decisions that don't leave us with regret or thinking, oh, I should have chosen B when my heart was telling me to choose A, or my mind saying A, and my heart saying B? What do I do? How do you make decisions? on a daily basis, where you know for sure that it's for the good of you and your family, and ultimately, how do you know what God wants you to do? Wouldn't it be nice to have a magic eight ball to shake and tell you? What if I told you you don't need that? What if I told you that there is a way to make decisions in this world that you won't have to Walk away feeling regretful. How, what if I told you there's a way to make decisions where you don't have to worry about the future, worry about missing it? That God is going to lead you in the right path. See, what we're going to do is we're going to look at Acts 21 today as we continue on working through the book of Acts and we're going to see how Paul makes a decision in Acts 21 and we're going to use that to launch into some ways that you and I can make decisions that honor God and help us know what choices we can make and this isn't an exhaustive list we could teach on this for weeks and not get deep enough but for I think today if you walk away thinking that's helpful I'm taking this one thing, I'm going to use that to help me make a large or small decision that I think that's worth it. So open your Bibles to Acts chapter 21, and I want to dig deeply with you in a few passages this morning. We're going to be right here in Acts 21, 1 through 4, and we'll jump around just a little bit this morning. So if you have your Bibles, follow along with me or on your phone. Here's what it says. After saying farewell to the Ephesian elders... We sailed straight to the island of Kos. That day we reached Rhodes and then we went to Patera. There we boarded a ship sailing for Phoenicia and we sighted the island of Cyprus, passed it on our left and landed at the harbor of Tyre in Syria where the ship was to unload its cargo. We went ashore, found the local believers and stayed with them. These believers prophesied through the Holy Spirit that Paul should not go to Jerusalem. So Paul's getting to the end of his third missionary journey and he thinks he's supposed to go to Jerusalem. And yet here he is with these other believers and these believers are prophesying, which means they believe they're hearing from God that Paul is not supposed or yeah, Paul's not supposed to go. To Jerusalem and they're not the only believers that tell him this a little while later through Paul's endeavors look what happens in verses 10 through 12 several days later a man named Agabus was also had the gift of prophecy arrived in Judea if you remember in Acts chapter 11 there was a prophet that prophesied that there would be a famine in the land that was Agabus and he was right that's what happened And so here comes Agabus on the scene, and Paul's thinking, okay, this guy is going to have a word from the Lord. What is he going to say? Well, he came over, Agabus, took Paul's belt, bound him with his own feet and hands. And then he said, the Holy Spirit declares, so shall the owner of this belt be bound by the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem and turned over to the Gentiles? When we heard this, we and the local believers all begged Paul not to go onto Jerusalem. What's interesting is Luke, who's writing Acts, doesn't always include himself in the narrative. Usually it's Paul did this or Barnabas did this, but he said, we, as everyone who is there, including Luke, said, oh my goodness, these people entire are speaking and they're saying not to go. Here comes Agabus, who we know is a prophet, and he is saying, You shouldn't go. And they're begging Paul, Don't go to Jerusalem. And as you're reading that, you're thinking, Okay, Paul, all of these people are speaking, You shouldn't go. But then what do we do with what happened in the previous chapter? Chapter 20 of Acts, just before this, says this in verse 22. And now Paul says, I'm bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. That is so confusing. Paul's like, I'm bound by the Spirit. The Spirit of God is telling me I should go. A chapter later, he's with other believers who are following the Lord. Agabus, who's a prophet, speaking on behalf of God, saying you shouldn't go. So who's right? Who's wrong? What should Paul do? What should he decide? He doesn't have a magic eight ball to tell him. You see, here's what I think is happening. I think the believers, including Agabus, are right. I think they are hearing from God. And I think God is revealing to them that if Paul goes to Jerusalem, he probably won't return. In other words, he's gonna suffer and die. I think the spirit of God spoke that to them. But they're interpreting that as if Paul shouldn't go. As if they're scared that Paul, if he goes, he won't return. And Paul's like, wait a minute here. Just because I'm supposed to go and I may not return doesn't mean that it's wrong. In fact, so often in our lives, God tells us to do something and it goes against all of our instincts because we're like, that's too hard. And these believers are like, if you go, it's going to be too hard. And Paul's like, that's okay. That's what happens sometimes when you follow God's Spirit. And this is why later, or earlier, I should say, in Acts 20, after he said, I'm bound to go, Paul says this, and this is so key. I don't know what awaits me, I don't know what's going to happen. Except that the Holy Spirit tells me in a city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. This is tough. I'm not going to go and be welcomed with open arms. They're not going to throw me a party. When I go, I could die. I said, But my whole life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned by me or by the Lord Jesus to me. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Like Paul's like, look, I may suffer. But my next step is to do what God wants me to do no matter if it's not comfortable or if it's not in what I wrote out for my five-year plan in my life. I have to do what God wants me to do because it's God's will for me and I want to discover that and do it no matter what it costs. It's funny, later in Acts 21, Paul said to the believer, he said, why are you weeping? You're breaking my heart. Like, you shouldn't have to cry. I am ready not only to be jailed at Jerusalem, but even to die for the Lord Jesus. Like, I know you don't want me to go. And you know what? If, if Paul was honest, maybe sometimes he's thinking, I don't know if I should go. Like, I want to follow the Lord's will. Man, this is difficult. I don't want to say goodbye forever, but his, his outlook was eternal. It's so interesting when you and I have a worldly or an eternal perspective, how we can make totally different, answer, or totally different choices based on that. Like I said, I think the believers loved Jesus and they loved Paul, but they're holding back from Paul what was God's will. And how do I know this? We'll look at the next verse in verse 14. It says, when it was clear that we wouldn't persuade him, we gave up and said the Lord's will be done. They're like, okay, Paul, he is resolute. It looks like even though we don't want him to go, this is what God's will is for his life. Paul has discovered it. We will surrender to it and we will trust God. And it's amazing. Paul now is going to go to Jerusalem. And when I say to that story, and when we refer back to it, it is so great. Paul knew, even in the face of advice that said not to go, he knew. But how can you and I know? How do we know what job we're supposed to take or what city we're supposed to move? How do we know if we're supposed to marry that person or buy that car or invest here or make this choice about our kids' baseball here or or not to do this there or what college? How do we know? Can we know? And I think the answer is yes. I think it can be as clear as it is with Paul. I want to help you discover that this morning. As we do that, I want to tell you about a book that is so great for two reasons. One, it's short, and I like short books. It's a small book. So if you like small books, this is for you. It's by Kevin D. Young, and it's called Just Do Something, a liberating approach to find God's will. He is a great theologian, a great pastor, a little book that if you are trying to make decisions in your life, just order it now. You can check out on the for a while, go on Amazon, whatever you do, and just order it. It's that good. But the reason I want to share that with you today is some of the things I'll talk about, uh, they're coming from this book. It impacted me so much. I want to introduce you to some of those words today. Now, let's get some common language so we know what we're speaking about. Because when you and I talk about God's will for our life, we oftentimes are thinking of this, God's will of direction. We're thinking of, okay, what do I do and where do I go? What choice do I make? Where do I move? Those are the things that when we're talking about God's will, we talk about God's will of direction. And that is a huge part of it. But I want to tell you today, and you need to hear me on this. It is not, and I repeat, it is not the most important way of discovering God's will. In other words, you and I are seeking this, but we're missing something else that I believe is more critical. It's not God's will of direction, which I'll tell you how to learn that in a few moments. But what's more important is God's will of desire. We don't talk about this enough because we are so busy trying to figure out what is next to do, or just so busy with life, we don't really feel what God is telling us, even about ourselves. When we talk about God's will of desire, we're asking the question, what does he desire of me as a person? Not what he wants me to do. That's very important to God, and we'll get to that. But if you don't get this right, I promise you, you won't understand God's direction for you. Because this not only precedes it, but it's the foundation of hearing God's voice in your life. For God's will of desire answers the questions of how am I living and who am I becoming? It's answering questions about character, about morals, and ultimately who you are becoming. Are you becoming like Jesus? As part of our vision here at the chapel is to become like Christ. That's what life should be about, Christ follower. We pay a lot of money trying to buy books and talk to other people to discover what our next step is, but God will freely shape you into the person that you and I are supposed to become. His desire for us is to become the person that he wants us to become. And again, I can't express this enough. This is more important and it is greater than discovering God's direction. He will get you where you need to go, but it will take the long road if you don't have the first part right. And if you're like me, and I'll end with a story of how this happened to me, because I didn't have that right, I couldn't see God's direction clearly. I got where I needed to go. I'm going to tell you about that as well, but I missed the first part. And so your question should be, okay, then what's God's will of desire for me? Who should I become? What should I do? And Jesus, he is such a master teacher. He makes this so clear, and we share it so often, but if you're like me, it has not been drilled into my heart enough, and we need to just go back to Jesus' great command, over And over again, because everything is boiled down in the scriptures to two things. He knew we're just simple people. We just need two things to figure this out. Again, Jesus says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. He says, who I want you to become is a person that is after my own heart in skill, in logic, in our affections, in who we are, the central will of God is to live for his glory, to honor him with your life. It doesn't matter if you choose A or B. If you're not doing this, then it doesn't really matter in the end. To truly live for God Wherever we are at is the purpose for your life. And Jesus says equal to this. Not 1A, 1B. This is is equal. He says the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. Sometimes I read that part, love your neighbor as yourself. I think, okay, I need to go love my neighbor. But I oftentimes always fall short. And the reason that I usually fall short is I forget about the last part. It says love your neighbor as yourself. Now, we're not talking about self-love, like just accept yourself and really you, you just got to be in the flow and who God made you. And I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about how often you and I think about ourselves. I am obsessed with myself. I love me some Eric. Eric. And so do you. Hope you love me, but you love you. <laughs> you are obsessed with yourself. All you think about all day is yourself. You think about other people, but they are way down the list. You are looking at life through how can I elevate myself? How can I make sure I'm important? How can I make sure people like me? How can I make sure I'm noticed? How can I make sure? How can I make sure? And we are always putting ourselves at the top. Jesus says, with that amount of aggressiveness that you pursue yourself, you should love others the same exact way. And wow, does that change it. I'm I'm trying to look out for my family because my family's important to me and your family should be exactly as important to me than mine is. My finances, I should be thinking about your finances. My future, your future. It's equal. We love others as much as we love ourselves. Are you and I putting that much value in honoring God and pursuing, serving others in that capacity? Because when you do, listen to me, when you do, you're in the center of God's will. You are smack dab in it. And then what we're going to see, you have freedom. Because who you're becoming is more important than where you are going. It's why Andy Stanley asked this question, what does love require of me? Whatever the answer to that question is, go do it. Can I confess to you that this week, I I came home from work and Paula was like, somebody called." okay? I can't tell you who called because I am so embarrassed that I almost said no to this. (laughs) Somebody called, And wanted me, someone in our family, wanted me to go to a doctor's appointment the next day with them. This is a really important doctor's appointment. And all I could think about is, and I said this, do you know how many meetings I have tomorrow? (laughs) Do You know how much stuff I have to get done? I'm just being completely honest with you. I loved me some me at that moment. I'm like, oh, my goodness, i got to rearrange this. What do we do? Like, I just kept thinking about me, 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 me. Then I started thinking about this question. What does love require of me? Can I miss these meetings or can someone else lead them? Yes. I can move these meetings. And so I ended up going to the doctor's appointment. And It was the right thing to do. When I was there, I was like, you dummy. Of course it's the right thing to do because you're loving other people. So, whatever you're facing in life, this is just like an easy question to ask yourself. Okay, what does love require me to do? Does it mean rearranging my schedule if you can? Yes. Because you would rearrange your schedule for you. So, we should do that for others. Those are the things that we need to ask. What does love require? And then just do it. And if you do it so many times, the answers to what's next just fall into place. Because if you're living for God and you're loving other people, it just does. It just falls into place. I think when Paul was looking at going to Jerusalem, he said, is this honoring God? Yes. Checkmark. Is this loving other people? Well, yes. I'm loving them to the point I could even die. Checkmark. Okay. It makes sense. Even though everyone else is telling me not to go, it loves God and it loves people. How can I not do it? This is what love requires of me. And so the next time you're wondering what God's direction for your life, I'm going to tell you how to think about that in a moment. Instead of thinking about it, ask who am I becoming? Is it honoring to God and is it loving to people? I should just go do that. I promise you, you're going to have less consequences in making the wrong choice than you would if you didn't. At least that's what I discovered this past week. So God's love... For him and for others, that's his desire. So now God's direction. What do I do now and where do I go? Now we're in a position to to understand this. I just want to give you three brief principles. These are basic principles, but I'm hoping to just clarify these with you. So the next time you're making a decision, whether it's a life changer or just a small one, think about these things. What does love require of me? And now that I'm in that position, let me think about these three things. The first is if you want to know what God wants for you, you must listen to what he has to say to you. And you may think that is so basic, Eric, of course. Read the Bible and pray. But how many of us do that? How many of us, when we're making a decision in life, we usually Google it first? Right? Google knows everything. It's like the magic eight ball. It just knows everything, right? Right? Or we go to other people. Spoiler that is number two. And we'll get to that in a moment. But we go to other people, we Google it, we go buy books. All of those things are really good, by the way. I do those things too. But we want to know what God wants and we don't even hear what he has to say about it. You want to know how I know Paul was in God's word and he was praying about the situation? Because he did what was hard. If you and I are not in the scriptures and we're not praying and we're not seeing the saints how they lived their lives in the Old and New Testament, I promise you we are going to default to what's easy and comfortable. And I'm not saying what is easy isn't always the right answer. Or it, could be the, it could be the right answer. But you'll never do what's hard. And God may be saying, do what's hard for my glory and for the good of others. It won't happen if you're not listening to him and talking to him and letting him talk to you and he reveals himself in the greatest way through his word and through prayer. So I'm asking us to recommit to that. The next time you wanna know what to do, go to the Bible. Now the Bible's not gonna give you, you're not gonna open up to Matthew and be like, okay, what girl should I read? Oh Lord, give me a name. Like it's not how it is, but what you're going to read is characteristics that you're looking for in a woman. Or who you should become. Those are the things that we find in the scripture and in prayer. So if we want to know God's will for our life, we have to go hear what he has to say. Not second or third or, or, hey, all right, I've gone through Google. I've gone to everybody else. Now, God, show me. No, let's go to him first. I think it will save us a lot of trouble. The second is to seek a multitude of wise counsel. I'm reading a a proverb a day right now, almost every day. Because there's 31 days of the month. Sometimes 30. There's 31 Proverbs. So for me, I'm a simple guy. I'm going to read a proverb a day. And let me tell you, oftentimes it talks about seeking wise counsel. Look at some of these verses. The way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. If we always think we're right all the time and we only listen to ourselves, the Bible's pretty clear you're an idiot, you're a fool. Where wisdom comes from is like listening to what others have to say. God likes to speak through other people. Proverbs 15, plans fail for a lack of counsel, but many advisors, they succeed. Or Proverbs 19, 20, listen to advice and accept discipline, and at the end, you will be counted among the wise. Listen to wise people. Who in your life is in the word and prayer? Go talk to them. Who in your life will not always tell you yes where you want to say yes to? Go talk to them. Who are the people in your life that will tell you hard things even when you don't want to hear it? Go to them. Emphasis on the wise. Because there are some people, like we saw in Acts 21, that told Paul what to do, but they were selfish because they wanted to protect Paul from God's will. There will be people that you talk to in your family or friends that will tell you what they want for your life because they want it easy or they want to use you. Go to people who will look you in the eye and say, I know you don't want to hear this, but here's what I think God's telling me. I may be wrong, I may be right. But it's a multitude of people that will help you. And finally, don't make it more complicated than it ought to be. Make a decision. You can't mess it up. There is an asterisk there. I'll end with that, by the way. You went to the scripture. You're loving God and loving people, right? We read that. You're doing what love requires of you. You're in the scriptures in your prayer. You're you're making wise counsel. Then go and do it. Go and do it. In fact, here's what's great. If you are in the center of God's will of desire for your life, you can't mess it up. You can't. If you make the wrong choice because you're loving God and loving people, God will get you where you need to be. How do I know that? Well, the Bible says it. Right after it says to seek wise counsel, it says, many are the plans in a person's heart, but in the Lord's purpose it prevails. The greatest thing is if you are trying to love God and love people and you've done everything that we've talked about and you choose A but B was the right choice, God will get you to B. He will. Because in the end, we have a lot of different plans and we don't always know what to do. We choose what we think's best and then God can get us to there. That's the greatest thing about God. Everyone freaks out that we're gonna do the wrong thing. Do you think God, who is all wise and who cares about you, is setting you up to fail? To trip you up? He wants you to succeed in his will more than you do. So use your brain. Use your skills. Use what you have. I'll end with this. I remember that I wasn't living for God's will when I went to choose my college. I wanted to be close to home, which again, I think that's God's will. But there are other reasons why. And I went to college, and I, and I wasted the first two years partying. And I just did the typical college thing. And then I started to actually take God's word seriously. I started to live for him and love other people. And again, I messed it up a lot, but I was more faithful. And wouldn't you know it, I was at Tiffin University. And then all of a sudden, God was telling me through scripture, prayer, counsel, I think you should go to Cedarville. So I ended up at Cedarville, and that's where I ended up going to college. And at Cedarville, I ended up um, dating this girl. And again, here comes selfish Eric. I just wanted this girl for me, not really for her. I wanted to really use her to feel better about me. And then I started to actually treat her the way God wanted me to, and then God had us break up. And after Cedarville, I came here, and I got an internship, and I met this girl named Paula, and the rest is history. I made a lot of mistakes because I wasn't in God's center of the desire of my life. But once I did, He took me here and He brought me here because He is your Redeemer and your Shepherd. You can't get it wrong if you are seeking His will of desire. You may have to go the long way, just like I have, but there's He will get you back to where you need to be. I love how Kevin DeYoung says it: God is not a magic eight ball. We shake up and peer into whatever decision we need to make. He is a good God who gives us brains. Shows us the way of obedience and invites us to take risks for him. That sure sounded like Paul to me. And you can do the same thing. Let's pray together. Lord, the only way that we can miss it is if we do what your word tells us not to do. If we want to just do what's easy and comfortable for me or we do what is selfish, we can't be in your will. But if we're just doing what the scriptures say, if we are praying, if we're seeking wisdom, if we're doing what you are asking of us, becoming the person that you want, then God, the next choices, well, we make them. and We make them knowing that you will shape us and help us get to where we need to be in the end. For your glory and for the good of others, for that is your desire will for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a good Sunday.